welcome back to Naturally Adventurous. And this week, I'm very happy to introduce a very special guest, and that is Ken Barrett. <laughs> Good to be back. Thanks yeah. for inviting me on to Naturally Lockdown Charlie show. It's a real privilege <laughs> to be on. No, it's great to have you back. I must say, I've, uh, I've missed you. Yeah, I've missed chatting. But uh, as I said earlier, uh, I'm out having adventures, so I'm, I'm keeping the store of uh, stories you certainly full. Are. We don't have to scrape the bottom of the barrel anymore. We've got a, a, good, a good stash. I don't even think we were close to the bottom of the barrel, but it certainly no. keeps <laughs> chucking stuff into the barrel. So where are you at the moment? So I am in Malawi, and I'm in the second biggest city of Blantyre, which is in southern Malawi. I basically had to spend the night here because I need a hopefully negative COVID test before I cross the border back into Mozambique. I'm sitting in the parking lot of the only sort of mall in Blantyre. There's a, a ShopRite, which is a South African grocery store. And there's, uh, you know, some cell phone shops and there's about 5,000 security guys. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure how the acoustics are going to be, but uh, I'm in the nice quiet cab of my Ford Ranger pickup. So hopefully it won't be too noisy. <laughs> and after we do this episode, I'm going to go drive over to the central hospital and pick up my COVID results. Hopefully negative. Hopefully negative. Yes. And uh, it always brings up an interesting question of like, Just what run. would you do if it, if it was positive? Yeah. Yeah. yeah then I, I head straight for the border of Mozambique and I hope to sleep in somewhere in the middle of nowhere in Mozambique. I've got some adventures planned. I'm heading to this remote area called uh, Kutara Doze. And I'm not, I really don't even know how yes. to get there. I can't tell from the maps or from Google maps or anything like what roads actually go through. So it's going to be an adventure. No, I can't wait to hear about that. Uh, Ken has actually been sending me regular voice messages on WhatsApp, so I'm collating those and hoping to also make a little uh, little road trip episode at a point, but we will be covering some of these places in a bit more depth in the future. But today, we've decided to skip back a little bit and keep things in chronological order. We're going to go back to your recent South Africa trip. Yeah, so I guess we'll do... At the end of most tours, I like to have people vote on their favorite experiences of the trip. You know, it can be a bird, it can be a place, it can be anything. And so I was guiding two folks, uh, really nice folks. Um, they're, you know, clients who have become good friends. It was a great trip to get back into the swing of guiding and traveling again. And so at the end of the trip, we all voted on our top experiences. So the five that I'll present now are based on the, the aggregate of my votes and theirs as well. So you usually do this in a, like a sort of point system. You know, you'll give the lower number of points to number five and, and the highest number of points to number one. But um, sometimes you'll get a tie. And that's what's happened with Ken's top five. He's, he's actually got six in there. So <laughs> <laughs> We're going to start with fifth place, which is joint between big natural areas of South Africa and also a very special bird which is new for Ken which is called Scalader's Lark and I think I would probably vote to hear about the Scalader's Lark rather <laughs> but you can mention both if you like have you seen Scalader's Lark yet I have where did you see it at uh, at Branfly no it was just outside of Karoo National Park that it's it's got a weird distribution this bird but it just about gets to nearby Karoo National Park. There's a local guide there, a really fantastic guy. He's called Yapi Klaassen, real Afrikaans name. Very experienced bird, very well respected in South Africa. Everybody knows him. 
And he also knows all the local landowners. So I contacted him and we used him as a local guide for the day and that got us access to this um, this private ranch nearby the national park. It was outside and it had this very kind of weird, distinctive habitat. There was like a trough of water for the for the cattle to come and drink. And he said, yeah, usually about this time of day, it's like, you know, 4 p.m., you know, you'll get a Sclater's Lark coming. So he knew exactly the spot and exactly which water trough and exactly what time it was going to be there. So that is pretty impressive local yeah. knowledge. So, yeah, we waited at 4 o'clock. This thing flew in, and we had a car park just in the right position, just at the right angle to get the best light in the photo, and we saw it, yeah. But it's quite it's quite a, a cool-looking bird. It's got like a little like a teardrop coming down its cheek, eh? Yeah. So, yeah, just a little background about it, Charlie references, but it, it's a mm. very localized bird of the Karoo of Western South Africa, this dry, semi-desert habitat. And it's one of these things, you know, I've been birding now over 15 years in South Africa, and slowly I've seen just about everything, but I still hadn't seen the Sclater's Lark, and it was starting to <laughs> become something I really wanted to see. I was asking myself, yeah. you know, what, when I lived there for years, why didn't I just rent a car for a few days and drive out into the crew and find this thing? But, you know, it's it's not necessarily your highest priority when you've just moved to a country and there's just all kinds of cool stuff to see. But 15 years later, I really wanted to see Sclater's Lark. So this trip that I set up for my friends, this was a custom trip, and the concept was like a, a huge South African road trip, and we were driving all the way through the Karoo. So we started in Joburg, and we did like a big day there, try to see as many of those areas' birds as possible, and then we went through the southern Kalahari, all the way through the Karoo down to Cape Town. So we w basically went through the whole range of Sclater's Lark, and I was not going to miss this bird. I, I was just like, no, no, no. <laughs> so, you know, I had uh, multiple sites lined up. We actually saw it briefly at the f first site where I looked for it, but it wasn't very satisfying. So the one that really made it in, into my top five was we were in this little town called Branfley. And this is just the absolute middle of nowhere, like one horse town in the uh, Karoo. Not only that, there has been a horrific drought there. Apparently, most of the farmers have had to right. sell off all their stock. So we basically, we didn't right. see a sheep. We didn't see anything green. Sheesh. There was a bunch of fresh graves. In, and there was two cemeteries in town, and there was like a whole bunch of fresh graves, which was a bit grim. We went out at dawn, and we spent 45 minutes birding in an area that historically has had this red lark. And we didn't have a single bird. Can you imagine being anywhere in the world for 45 minutes from sunrise, you know, to 45 minutes after and not having a single bird? At sunrise. Uh, I don't scary. think that's ever happened to me before. So this place was... Not at sunrise. No, no. It middle was, of the day, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, easily in the middle of the day in, in the Miambo or like, you know, deciduous forest mm -hmm. in Southeast Asia or something. That's possible. But it was just mind-blowingly desolate. But something about that was quite memorable. And, you know, this is actually what this Sclater's Lark likes. So after trying to see Red Lark and failing to see a single bird of any species, we drove out to an area that's good for Sclater's <laughs> Larks. And just shooting along the road, I saw these birds fly up, and I thought, that looks good. Slam on the brakes, pull over next to the wire fence, and look out. And as a whole, there's a big flock of Sclater's Larks there. There's maybe 20 of them. So that's pretty cool, enjoying these, these little, yeah, the little chunky larks with 
upturned bills and this weird teardrop mark below the eye. Maybe an acquired taste, or, or maybe it's the kind of thing where you have to have in your eye after looking at a lot of larks. But to me, totally, totally distinctive and, and unmistakable, just at a glance. And, and, you know, very satisfying to finally see this thing. But what really made this cool was I have the South African bird app. I decided I'll play that call on there and just see if they even notice it. So I played this call once or twice, the, and the whole flock of birds flew in. And a couple of them were, were actually hovering over my window. And they, they almost came into the car. And then they, they sort of wow. landed on the wire fence, like almost at arm's length, like, you know, maybe two meters away. And the whole flock came in and landed just all around the car. And I played the call again. And again, they were like hovering over my window. It was totally bizarre and, and totally cool. And it was, it's the kind of thing when you're guiding, you know, it's fun just to try stuff and just see what works. Yeah. You know, I never would have really thought that would work, but I'd give it a try. And then it just worked like a charm. We had these incredible views of this bird that I'd waited 15 years to see. Uh, it was it was great. It didn't make the, the client's t- uh, top 10 lists, but uh, it's quite good for me. <laughs> I was told that they have a sort of very distinctive habitat preference, you know, so even in the area where they were, they were only on this like it was like a little almost like a little stony ridge line or something like that uh it's interesting i didn't really pick up on that but it, mm. it must be when you consider how localized they are there's some similar looking birds in other parts of africa isn't there like one in ethiopia like the short tailed or yeah it's a little bit a little bit similar little it's actually similar. it's a little bit like yeah. it's the stark's lark out in the namib desert as well you know, larks, they're one of my favorite groups of birds. And it's one of the things is every every one of them has got a very, very distinct habitat preference. So it's very kind of fun to to learn the habitat. And then, you know, that really helps you to go and find the bird. Definitely. And the other thing is they all have interesting vocalizations. And a lot of them have interesting flight displays as well. So I find each one of them is just fascinating little species to look at. But, you know, on first glance as a somebody coming in not knowing much it just looks like a little brown bird but there's a, there's a lot more to them they have a wonderful collective pronoun oh yeah it's uh what is it a melody exaltation exaltation yes <laughs> <laughs> they're glorious birds our boss keith barnes is a real luck expert and he loves them he's written he's written articles on lucks you know it really yeah quite a nice one when i told keith about my sclater's trying to fly in the window experience he said he was almost jealous so with keith and larks that's that's pretty high praise yeah i still need three larks in south africa and it's a bit of a thorn in my side one of his is the the one the ones you mentioned the red lark one is a short clawed lark which is uh, kind of one with a long bill and then the final one is this barlow's lark which is just in this very far northwestern corner of uh, South Africa and Namibia, but I, I, I sort of dream of doing a road trip to pick up those three lots. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we went and saw Barlow's on this trip as well. It's quite a quite a bizarre little place. The extreme northwest corner of South Africa, it's basically the Namib Desert, the only little bit of the Namib that gets down into South Africa. It's just sort of sparsely vegetated dunes and very barren, cold South Atlantic coastline. It's a weird place. I'll quickly tell you about the the one that tied for for the top five, which was just the big uh-huh. intact natural areas. That was one of the my friends who who that was their vote. They were just really struck by South Africa, how it has these huge preserves, especially in the Western Cape, um, very well run and just 
remarkably pristine. He's a botanist, and so he's very attuned to like when Oof. plants are exotic or invasive or whatever. And and he was just with a botanist's eye, he was seeing some of these places, and he was just appreciating how pristine they were, how few exotics there were, how intact they were. It is a real pleasure in South Africa, and there's there's just so many um, natural areas. I can't imagine how excited a botanist would be going through that area because, I mean, even I, with a very unskilled eye with regards to plants, you can just see how special it is and how how unique and, and different the plants are than anywhere else. Absolutely, and that was actually part of the concept of the trip because he's a botanist and, and uh, you know, we tried to hit springtime in the succulent Karoo and we were a little bit late for the peak flowers, but it was still just absolutely yeah. amazing. And so when we get to the number one trip highlight, that has a, a botanical element <laughs> as well. Well, we better speed up if we want to get there because we're still only on number five. So let's move on to number four, which was good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds a bit funny, but it really, as you know, <laughs> on a trip, when you, especially when you spend three weeks in a small group of people, you know, those being the right people makes a huge difference. It just everybody kind of yeah. gelling and getting along. And, and this trip was just fantastic. I mean, we were already good friends. I'd already done two trips with these folks. And so we just knew each other pretty well. And we're just very compatible. And we just like talking about big questions about conservation and all sorts of things. And so we had great in-depth conversations. We had all kinds of jokes, you know, the way these little inside jokes develop over three weeks and uh <laughs> one of the little things that we developed was we had a lot of i did a, some cooking um, self-catering as they call it in south africa and actually most of our lunches we just ha had our picnic lunches out in the field which was great because you could just be out in the karoo just looking at plants and having a having a lunch but i bought all this all this nice stuff like olives and pesto and some nice crackers and good cheese and this kind of mm. stuff and so yeah. uh Chris came up with his name, the car shootery. He called it the car shootery. <laughs> it was brilliant. Or maybe maybe it was, uh, I, I don't remember who thought of it, but it was, uh, yeah, it was a brilliant name for the our lunches. So we enjoyed these car shooteries awesome. out in the middle of nowhere. So, you know what that reminds me of? So you, you and I have had quite a few car shooteries in the, in the past. And uh, I remember one particular one. I think it was one of our, final, one of our last Namibia tours that we did. We really went to town, you know, we, and we were pretty experienced. We knew exactly what to get, exactly how much of each thing to get. But we made this beautiful thing with all these. And rather than buying ready-made sandwiches or making sandwiches for people, it was like, make your own. You know, here are the raw ingredients and just nice things, you know, nice cheeses and, and spreads and stuff, as you say. But one of the things I particularly like is um, blue cheese. And we got this. Uh, and, and of course, you know, you've got no kind of fridge or anything. So some of the things, you know, you tr you eat most of the stuff in a day and some of the stuff that keeps you can use for the following days, you know, some fruit or whatever. And I think after about a two-week tour through Namibia, you know, going through the Namib Desert and crossing the escarpment and just the, you know, real heat of the day, we actually found that we'd left this block of blue cheese in the back <laughs> of the van. I remember this. And we, you remember this? <laughs> and we found this thing and we were like, hmm. I wonder if it's still edible like that. And we kind of, and it had already been opened. And I sort of looked at it, and there was some like extra, like fluff on top. This kind of like fungus had grown, and I thought, mm, if I just kind of scrape that off, the cheese underneath is probably still, 
edible. <laughs> and uh, and it was like in a little plastic container. And I think it also, it sort of distilled this liquid around the base. And it had this little clear liquid. And it was the most pungent liquid. It was like... Oh, man. It, it was, was amazing. And it was, it was like, like some kind of like cheese like wine. The, yeah, it was, the, it was the essence of blue cheese. And you could put like a drop... You get like a cheese sandwich and you just put one drop of this. And the whole thing was like... You know, it was almost like a artificial flavoring or something like that but i mean it was just the most intense blue cheese flavor you've ever had so um yeah car shootery i like it okay let's move on to number three which is one of the places that you went to a reserve called Isinvelo. do you know what Isinvelo means i do not it means nature in zulu, zulu. Or Isizulu. Ah. yeah yeah it means it means nature so the the actual the, the kwazulu natal provincial nature authority they call themselves Ezinvelo as well so they have oh, okay. Ezinvelo reserves but confusingly there's actually a reserve called Ezinvelo as well <laughs> but yeah it means uh, it means nature and, and and especially one of the special things that you saw there which was a very cool bird called the marsh owl yeah this is where we started the trip they my friends flew into Joburg I picked them up because of covid concerns we really didn't want to stay in the city we didn't want to be in a big hotel and we also wanted to position ourselves for some good birding. Um, they'd also sent me the list of birds that they hadn't seen yet in South Africa. And so I basically designed this big day in which we tried to see as many of those as possible. Um, I think got something like 40 lifers for them on that first day. Really? That's incredible. But we were based in this place, Esmvelo, and they just had, it's a really nice little reserve. It's about an hour and 15 minutes northeast of Joburg. It's a mix of this interesting kind of broadleaf uh, woodland and high-felled open grassland like prairies. Lots of big mammals. I mean, there's giraffes wandering around. There's all kinds of antelope and just very empty. Not not many people. They have these nice little chalets and uh, it was just the perfect kind of magical place to start the trip. Um, just immediately out of the city when we drove there the first night, they arrived after dark. Our first bird on the trip was an African grass owl that I just picked up in the headlights of the car. <laughs> it was unbelievable. This is a this is like wow. a, this near mythical kind of African bird that you know a lot of people very difficult bird to see. Very yeah. difficult. So and then we drove out to Esmvelo and yeah, we you know just waking up there the first morning. You know this is this was my first guiding since the pandemic. It was their first trip since the pandemic, and it's cool and crisp and there's birds everywhere I'm, I'm sort of cooking breakfast making eggs and coffee and running back and forth between this picnic table and the kitchen and meanwhile i'm trying to call birds at the same time and i think they, they had like six or seven lifers in what we called the magic tree just over our, our little picnic or our little uh <laughs> table yeah it was just wonderful and then we had this full day of birding and then we we wrapped up the day uh, looking for marsh owls back in esmvelu and we had this amazing experience with like three or four marsh owls just circling over our heads in the spotlight and calling and swooping around and just wonderful. These kind of moth-like pale brown owls. It's a lot like the short-eared owl for, for North American birders. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was just it was a great start to the trip. I think the Joburg area is probably one of the best places in the world to see marsh owl. I mean, it's um, there's quite a lot of them. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's more common anywhere else. 
uh, the high felt grasslands. You can, and in winter, you can often see them flying around during the day. But that time, just around dusk, they're just starting to move around, and it's just magical to watch them fly. You know, they've got such so graceful and yeah, just kind of yeah, really, really cool. I've 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 done that a few times. They just sort of waiting at dusk for them to come out of their come out oh. of their roosts. It's so cold too, so you know it was still winter up there in the high veld. Mm. So it was the temperature was headed down to around freezing, and you know it's just really? cold and perfectly crisp and calm, and and then all of a sudden these moth-like owls are just kind of fluttering around over the grass. Just yeah, yeah magic. Ooh, very nice. Makes me excited. I'm hoping all going well. I'll be in South Africa in about a month's time. So, um, yeah, great. It's, uh, really putting me in the mood whetting my appetite <laughs> fantastic cool so we'll move on to number two which is really one of my favorite places on the south africa tour it's um in the cape town area and it just combines just amazing birding and just killer scenery it's just an amazing place and it's called the roy Els. roy Els. by the time we'd made our way down to cape town we'd seen most of the potential birds but we'd missed uh this really cool ground-dwelling terrestrial woodpecker called ground woodpecker. Um, it's kind of like a flicker. And then one of the big marquee birds of that Cape area is the Cape rock jumper. This beautiful kind of thrush-like bird, rufous breast, blackish back with big white spots, tail often fanned out, and uh, also a kind of a ground rock-dwelling bird. So these are two of the coolest birds on the whole trip. And we hadn't seen them yet, but I, I knew that this Roy Ells area was one of the best sites. So we headed out there one afternoon, and it was just the perfect day. You know, it was kind of cool and cloudy and not windy. Springtime around the Cape is just beautiful in general. Just very, very nice weather. And birds are so active. There's flowers all over the place. And as Charlie said, Roy Ells is just this amazing place you're basically you're in this finebos habitat which is this kind of brushland mediterranean brushland runs right down to the coast but then to your left there's a big mountain and uh, there's actually leopards still living on that mountain mm. right? so it's just this Cape very leopards, wild yeah. place and you've got the south atlantic with big breakers coming in and the, the fine boast runs all the way down to the to the beach. There's a little town there, and then beyond the town, it's just pristine, untouched, wild. And this is only not even an hour out of Cape Town. Uh, it's just a spectacular place. So we, we got there, and we're just soaking in this wonderful place, beautiful weather, flowers, and amazing plants all over the place. But I was a little bit worried about finding these, these targets. Um, they can be tough birds sometimes. And we, we walked in about a kilometer, no sign of either bird. I was just a little bit, hmm, wonder, wonder what's going on. But it was one of those things where both birds just popped up within probably 30 seconds of each other. Like all of a sudden there's ground woodpecker calling this side, and then the, up the hill there's there's Cape rock jumpers calling. Uh, it was, you know, hard to know which way to look, so we chase down the woodpeckers, and we have amazing <laughs> views of this ground-dwelling woodpecker, and then we walk up the slope, and we basically are in amongst this family group of Cape rock jumpers. There's, there's a baby begging and then the the male is kind of flying away and then he's coming back with a big bug and feeding the baby and we, we almost felt like we were part of the family group for like probably spent 30 minutes with these cape rock jumpers wow so it was just one of those times on a birding trip when it's just you know magic just everything happens 
and uh yeah it was it was wonderful it it was one of the first places i went in south africa i think um i think keith might have taken me out of there just after i arrived in south africa and it was just it's just mind-blowing eh? these big sweeping cliffs on the top and there used to be a pair of um Varro's eagles these huge black eagles at the, the nest on cliffs and they used to soar along these steep jagged cliffs on one side and then you look on the on the other side of the of the track and there's just this kind of rugged coastline just it would just oh it's just amazing it's yeah you can see uh Absolutely you can see humpback whales and southern right whales right next yeah. to the shore i've seen mm-hmm albatrosses flying right down the beach i've seen giant petrels there really? flying you know maybe a couple hundred yards offshore yeah it's it's just so much going on in that place full of endemic birds i've seen clip springers these kind of like mountain antelopes up on the rocks on one side it's um, very cool you know you mentioned the the cape leopards i i just remember something funny if you go a little bit further around the coast from Royals, you get to a penguin colony at um what's it called now betty's bay betty's bay yeah or very occasionally a leopard will come down and grab a penguin (laughs) (laughs) And and i think it's it might be the only place in the world where where leopards eat penguins it's gotta be this place yeah (laughs) butterball yeah leopard delicacy we had a friend, because, I mean, they're really, really rare, um, the, the leopards in the, in the Cape. But he was going out to try and find them, and he, he armed himself with recordings of little little baby animals in distress. I don't know where he got This was Christian. Eh? Um, he, he had this, like, a, a recording of a little a little lamb kind of squealing, and then he had a little baby <laughs> hyrax squealing. And he was going out at night sort of playing all these recordings of, of distressed young animals to see if he could... Uh, bring this cape leopard in did he ever see it <laughs> i don't know I never, but i was i was amused just by the thought of him uh, what he was doing very cool okay let's move on to your number one which is a wonderful name of a place uh, i haven't been here but it's called in english you would say advart kloof but uh, in afrikaans it'd be Kluf. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was going to start with Aardvark, so the Aardvark, the Aard is earth, and Fark is pig, so yeah, the Aardvark is the, uh, the earth pig. And yeah, Kloof, I guess, is uh, it's like a little gorge, I guess. Yeah, like a, almost Kloof. like a wadi or something, yeah. right? Not yeah, not a huge yeah. canyon normally, but a, a smaller rocky canyon, typically. Afrikaans people call it Kloof, but the English-speaking um, <laughs> locals just call it Kloof. Yeah, Kloof. That's so, uh, okay. Yeah, so this this place, the experience of this place and the birds and the botany, it was in the the top three for all three of us. It was, again, it was just one of these magical times and places. You know how you occasionally have the feeling, Charlie, when you're traveling, that you're in a place in one of the best days of the year in a given place, when, when it's like, <laughs> if maybe it's spring and the birds are going nuts yeah. and there's flowers and the weather is perfect and there's no wind and you just occasionally get this special feeling that like this this is the place and this is the time and it's it's just all happening you know it happens very occasionally hit it just right yep well we we hit yeah. this place Ardvark Kluf at, at exactly that critical time you know it was like it was the height of spring you know you kind of felt like that day was the height of spring there was not, not going to be another day <laughs> this year that was that good and part of what made it wonderful was we spent a lot of time in the Karoo, 
It's, you know, dry, semi-desert, low brush land. But there are two different sections of the Karoo that are very different in character. There's the Nama Karoo and the Succulent Karoo. The Nama Karoo is more grassy in general, and it's summer rainfall. The Succulent Karoo is, has, has a lot more succulents, as you would imagine from the name. Not nearly as much grass. And it's a winter rainfall area associated with the Western Cape. And so, although these two parts of the crew share a lot of plants and animals, they are, like in, when it's spring in the one, it's still basically winter in the other. So when we went to Ardfarkluf, we drove out of winter in the Nama Karoo, when it was just barren and dry and no birds were singing, nothing was green, no wildflowers. <laughs> we suddenly cross, crossed this mysterious line when it was like, oh, it's spring. And suddenly there were these these huge migratory Ludwig's bustards were everywhere, dozens of them. And then we started to see, really? oh, that there's flowers everywhere. You know, there's, you get all these crazy aster flowers, succulent asters blooming everywhere. And the further we went to the west, you know, just the greener things got and the more bird activity there was and the more flowers there were. And so we, and then we drove up into the mountains of Namakwaland and we went to this place, Ardvark Kluf. And as I said, it was just popping there. It was just happening. I mean, the birds were going nuts. It was just bird song everywhere. Um, the botany was amazing. Just an unbelievable diversity of plant forms and flowers. And in, for people who don't know the this part of South Africa, Southwest South Africa. It has some of the world's most amazing botany. The unbelievable diversity of endemic plants. And uh, when you hit it, when all these things are flowering, as we did at Aardvark Kloof, it's just, just mind-blowing. It's like when you drive through this stuff at speed, you could be sort of in the Southwest United States in a sage flat or something, right? But when you stop and you get out of the car and you start walking around, you realize... Like, there are hundreds or thousands of species of plants here. This is a mega-diversity place. It's not this kind of uniform brush land. It's special. So we walked around the cliff for a couple hours. We saw several of the most elusive Karoo endemic birds, including the Damara canary, which I had only seen once prior to that. We had a couple cinnamon-breasted warblers, and now I think it's called copy warbler. A really cool, weird endemic to the Karoo, and just all kinds of other stuff. Basically, by the end of that day, we'd seen almost all the Karoo endemic birds. Um, we took hundreds of photos of flowers. Um, this was actually a, a big part of this trip, was doing iNaturalist for botany. And what's cool in South Africa, it made me realize the full power of iNaturalist. Tons of people have done iNaturalist in South Africa, so there's a big accumulated database of images which means that the ai right. is incredibly powerful ah. so basically uh -huh. any plant we could aim our our phone cameras at the iNaturalist could identify at least a genus so it was just like addictive wow. to just feel like i can identify everything <laughs> around me and so you know you just imagine you're in this botanical paradise super high diversity everything's green and flowering and then you're just able to identify everything 
with iNaturalist. It, it's just, we were like kids in a candy shop, not even talking about the birds, just, <laughs> just talking about the botany. Yeah. And you know, this is the absolute middle of nowhere as well. When we drove out to the Ardfart Kloof, we drove three hours and we only saw one car and it was a police car, <laughs> which was bizarre. I've never seen police out in the crew. And the police car, they pulled, they went into the middle of the road, they flashed their lights and they made us stop. And then they wanted to talk really? to us. And they basically said, are you okay? Are you lost? Do you know where you're going? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know you're in a remote place when that's the response of police to your being there. Um, it wasn't unfriendly. It was just like, what are you doing here? So yeah, wow. but w when we got to cl the cliff, we hadn't seen another person for hours. Um, no cars went by. So, you know, that just added to the magic of it. Just feeling like spring is just going off here and there's nobody even here to enjoy it except us. Ken, this is reminding me of something of birding in a very remote location. I Did you, you went birding maybe with Josh Engel in a rental car and you, and you got a flat tire like in the middle of nowhere? Not one flat tire. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. We basically had one flat tire and then we had another flat tire on a rental car. And this was the absolute middle of nowhere in the Karoo. We waited for hours. No other cars passed. We couldn't get any cell phone signal. We walked up to the top of various hills, no, nothing. So we ended up basically driving, I don't know, maybe 20 Ks on the flat tires, which slowly ground down and uh, <laughs> dissolved onto the road. And then eventually we were just driving on the hubs. And I'll just never forget the hideous screeching of just driving on like a gravel road on the hubs. This, this, this tortured uh, hubs. And uh, finally we got to a place where we could get some cell phone reception. And basically, you know, at the top of a hill or something, called the rental car company, told them where we were. And then maybe three or four hours later, they sent out a right. car. Uh, to to swap out and then towed away that damaged vehicle. Yeah, that was quite the Karoo experience. <laughs> that road you were on, I think it's the longest distance between two towns in South Africa, something like that. And I've actually had a flat tire on that road as well. It's very kind of sharp rocks there, very easy to get a easy to get a flat tire. But I, I've always just loved that image of of you guys just driving on the driving on the rims of the wheels <laughs> and it's it was like just this visceral horror of that the sound of those hubs just scraping all oh i'll never forget it it was good story but a bad experience i actually took my family out there when we did this family safari two years right. ago and we had a flat tire on that road again and we had to go all the way back to saris which is the nearest town and get a new tire and then we ended up getting out to the Karoo National Park, Tunkwa Karoo National Park at like 10 p.m. And my family right. was looking at me like I was a bit crazy at that point, but they, they actually ended up absolutely loving it out there. Stayed in a little farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. Pretty unique area, the Karoo. It's very, uh, very special. And uh, yeah, I, I still have this a lot of places in the Karoo that I haven't visited. I'm also a little bit um, sad that I didn't make more trips up there. So, you know, I, we talked about the, the good conversation and camaraderie on this trip. Well, this is mm. one of our little things we came up with was Karoo as an adjective. And it, it basically means dope or sweet, you know. Like, man, <laughs> that is so Karoo. That is just... That is so, so like, <laughs> Aardvark Kloof was just so Karoo. It was oh, a fantastic trip, nice. great company, and, you know, it's just wonderful to be traveling again. 
And I tell you, I, I kind of, I underappreciated South Africa when I lived there. I don't even know why exactly. I've come to absolutely love South Africa. Uh, you know, it's one of my favorite countries in the world. It just has a fantastic combination of, uh, you know, high functionality, good infrastructure, yeah. plus tons of nature, high diversity, fantastic protected areas. And it's just cool. I, culturally, it's interesting. You've got all these different groups of people who are all very distinct. And, you know, it's also kind of inspiring. It has its problems, but it is working. And it hasn't fallen apart yet. And there is tons of diversity of different kinds of people. And they all generally get along with each other. It's it's a cool place. There's, there's not that many places in the world that are, that are like that. So, yeah, I, I love it. Well, I think Charlie and I both have to run. I have to go get my uh, hopefully negative COVID test. But uh, <laughs> we'll play out with this week's natural sound, which will be a cinnamon-breasted or copy warbler. That's something we saw on this Aardvark Kluf. Really exciting thing to hear. It's just this very, very low-density, habitat-specific Karoo rock-dwelling bird. Every time you hear it as a bird guide, it just you get this little shot of adrenaline, like, yes, there it is. <laughs> so, uh, and it was one of the, it was the background, part of the background noise in this just wonderful springtime Aardvark Kluf. So, yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for uh, your patience with my absences, and uh, thanks to Charlie for keeping things going. Hopefully I'll be home in about two weeks, and we'll be doing all kinds of new episodes and interviews.